You're listening to Discover Church with Lead Pastor Curtis Jones. This week, we kick off a new series, Happiness Is. For more information on Discover Church or to join one of our worship experiences live, log on to discoverchurch.cc. All right. Man, it is so awesome. Uh, it is so awesome to have you guys here with us today. I hope that your week has been great. Uh, our week uh, has been pretty good over at the Jones household uh, this week. Uh, actually, not this week. It was yesterday, literally yesterday. Uh, we decided to do something that's pretty crazy. We kind of feel like we've lost our minds a little bit. My wife blames it all on me is uh, we, we decided to bring a, a new puppy home uh, this week. So, uh, so if we're all, if, if everybody in my household looks a little droopy today, it's because, you know, you got to get up every two hours to go outside to go to the bathroom. You're just like, you know, I, I might not have uh, the baby fever that some of you have, but I, I'm experiencing it in a, a very different way. So, uh, so it's been exciting. But uh, talking about puppies, right? Puppies, uh, basically, we are in the midst of a series we kicked off last week. We calling it happiness is and really what we're doing with happiness is is we're really kind of taking a look at what is it that drives us and and what is happiness to us individually and obviously uh, we all kind of define that probably a little bit differently but you know last week if you missed last week we really talked about the fact that happiness is for us it's about more about a who than a what so for us, the who's of our life are going to be way more important than the what's, right? The what's are great, right? You know, we get to have the new phone or the new car or the new house. Right? All those things are cool, but they're only kind of like temporary things that we experience happiness through. Then after that, we find out, that's what, it doesn't last. we got to find something else. So that it's really more about the who than the what. And the other thing we kind of shared a little bit last week as we kicked off happiness is, is we really talked about a person that experiences happiness really is going to experience happiness through through something specific, and that is peace. But not just peace, because it's really easy to say, oh, have peace, right? And it kind of makes you feel like you got that uh, uh, 60s hippie vibe, right? Oh, just have peace, you know? No, but really when it comes down to it, we're really looking for us to have peace with three different very individual things. The first one is we want to know we want to have peace with others, right? Sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard. But we also know that we want to have peace with God. And the last one is that if we can have peace with God and peace with others, we want to have peace with ourself. So we want to be able to go through those three things, and today uh, we're going to kind of continue down this path of really what uh, what makes us happy and, and what is happiness to us. And if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you, we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally, you know, uh, I, I kind of bounce around a little bit scripturally uh, uh, Sunday to Sunday, but today uh, we're pretty much going to plant ourselves in the book of Matthew in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, so if you want to take a second to kind of open up to there, Matthew chapter 5. And remember, if you don't have your Bibles, we really encourage you to make sure if you have your cell phone with you, you can download the version app, and that way you get to carry God's Word with you no matter where you go, and you can always have it with you. So we really encourage you that. So uh, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I don't want you to feel weird about this, but uh, if you grew up like me uh, in church, right? So I grew up in church. When I was growing up in church, uh, we were like the church 
family, okay? We were the church family. We were there on Sunday mornings. We were there on Sunday nights. We were there on Wednesday nights. We occasionally, we'd have prayer meetings on Monday nights. And you'd go to, sometimes you'd go to that. And then, of course, you'd have your revival services. And you, like, you just, you were at church. You had youth group. You had all sorts of activities and things going on that you were there. And, and some of you obviously grew up in different churches in different states. And maybe some of them were local. Maybe some of them were far away from you from where you are now. But, you know, I, I, I would imagine that if you've ever visited a church uh, in your life, especially when you were younger, maybe you kind of had this thought, you know, that, or maybe you've even heard this being said uh, from, from somebody else, but that God doesn't really want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy, right? Uh, that he, he's, we, we, we probably, and maybe if you've not heard it in those exact words, you kind of have felt like the picture was painted in that way. Like, God isn't really concerned about happiness. He wants you to be holy. Come on, church. Amen. You know what I mean? Like, it makes you kind of feel that vibe, doesn't it, right? You kind of have that, that concept. But, you know, uh, you, you, maybe you grew up and you really kind of thought that, you know, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, so he made up lots of rules for you to do, of things for you to do and not do, right? That's kind of like the part of the song. Or, or, or you know, maybe you're saying uh, Jesus thought if, if you're happy and you know it, then repent, right? You know, you just had these moments where you just felt like it wasn't about joy or, or sincerity, you know what I mean? It was just about, oh, you've done bad things, so now guess what? You need to come to the Lord, right? And, and, and it's, so, it's so easy for us to experience that because we all we all experience uh, guilt in many different ways, don't we? Sometimes the guilt that you experience is going to come from uh, uh, people close to you. Sometimes it comes from people that you don't even know. Sometimes you experience guilt from watching TV and seeing commercials and the self-process of, of how you see yourself. And, and we really have to come to the concept of what is happiness to us and what is happiness through all these individual things. And, you know, we really need to think about this. Andy Stanley uh, had this really awesome quote I come up with that, that I come across, and, and he said this. I, I couldn't come up with any better way to say it, all right? He just did it, so I'm going to tell you what he said uh, because he's Andy Stanley and I'm not. But uh, he said this. He says, if God created you with the capacity to have joy and happiness, then why would he have created you with, uh, with the ability only to try to keep you from it? So if God created you with the capacity for joy and happiness, then why in the world would he create things to keep you from the joy and happiness? But that's so often the times, isn't it, how we view like the Christian walk versus like what we really do and how we really live. We feel like there's the things that we like to do that are happy, and then there's the things that God wants you to do, you know? We kind of feel like we have these two, uh, two separate things, and today to kind of look at this in a little bit more of a realistic light, we're going to, uh, first off, we're going to look at what Jesus said, and in, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at one of uh, his longest sermons. I promised you, if you've seen the video message this week on Facebook, I promise you this isn't my longest message, okay? It might be his, but it's not mine, but we're going to be looking at the Sermon uh, on the Mount, and specifically here in chapter 5, looking at the Beatitudes. Now, how many of you in the last week have used the word Beatitude? Oh, uh, none of you? I can't believe that because it's such a common word that you should be using every week. In fact, I want to encourage you this week, find a way to work beatitude into a conversation just randomly. Just randomly place it in there and see if anybody has any clue what happened, okay? Just throw, throw that out there. Uh, but we're, we're going to take a look at the beatitudes. And if you don't know, if you, if you don't speak Bibleese or anything else, if you don't know what the beatitudes are, that basically means blessed. 
And in the Greek, what it actually means is it means fortunate or happy. Isn't that funny that Jesus is talking about happiness? You probably didn't think sometimes that Jesus said anything about happiness. But here we have it in Matthew chapter 5. And he basically really spells out what it is for us that's going to make us happy. All right, now look, the list is a little bit long. So trail with me here. And then in your worship guide, it's got a spot to take notes if you need to take any notes. But we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, because how many of you know when you start healing people and all sorts of amazing things happen, you get crowds around you. He had a bunch of crowds. He said when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. And then his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now here's what we need to understand. Because sometimes when we read, especially the New Testament, when it comes to Jesus, as we see Jesus travel around, we, we hear about like the entourage, right? Now, I've never been cool enough to have an entourage, uh, but I, I can imagine like it's got its perks and it's got its down, downsides, right? But we, we imagine the entourage that Jesus brings with him. And really, when Jesus is coming around, he has three groups of people that are going to be with him. The first group are the apostles, right? Those are the closest ones. Those are the twelve. Those are the ones that Jesus, through pain and suffering of teaching, is trying to get them to figure out what in the world he is here for, right? He's really trying to paint this a really clear picture for him, and you can see it takes them a very long time to get it, okay? So we have the apostles, the 12. Then we have the disciples, right? So the disciples are not necessarily not the apostles, right? There are disciples too, but the disciples is a more kind of generic broad term for people who believe the teachings of Jesus, but they're not like in the inner circle, because how many of you know you can't have 100 people in your inner circle, right? It just, it can't happen. So then we have the disciples, and then we have the third one, and that's the crowd, right? That's the people who are trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about, and what exactly is all the stories that they're hearing. Is this true? You know, it can't be true, because I mean, who can make a person that can't walk, walk, and who can make a blind man see again, right? So they're trying to figure all these things out, and basically, Jesus took the content that he taught, and he taught it in many different ways, and he really repeated a lot of it, because he really wanted these groups of people from their various from their various walks of life wherever they were coming at to get who he was and to get who God was. And so here we find Jesus kind of getting into, uh, again, the Beatitudes or, or what it means to be blessed or fortunate or happy, right? And in verse 3, he says this. He starts out by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, automatically, you're probably like me. When you read the word poor, what do you think most often? Money, right? You think us because we're either rich or we're poor or we're somewhere in the middle, right? Well, Jesus really wants to come right out of the gate here when he is talking about happiness. He comes right out of the gate because he wants to, us to understand that, guess what? Rich money Poor money has really nothing to do with it, right? He says, listen, those aren't going to be the things that are going to make you happy, but it's those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you say, what does that mean? Really, when it comes down to it, the poor in spirit is basically an acknowledgement 
that we are going to be dependent on God every single day, right? Now, obviously, if you're poor financially, sometimes you get to live that out in a real more practical way, right? When you literally have to depend on God for everything. And so sometimes we do allow money to help influence that. But listen, he says, I want you to realize that we have to, you have to embrace God. You have to embrace me on a daily basis regardless Regardless of the other things around you, you know, we basically need to say to God, listen, I, I need you. And he says that when we understand that we're poor in spirit, that that is going to start opening the door for, or doorway for us to really step in and figure out what happiness is. You know, I kind of often think about this as uh, the Lord's Prayer. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you recite the Lord's Prayer. And, and what does Jesus say as part of the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, you know, give us today our, our daily bread, right? He, he's basically saying, you know, Lord, he speaks into this concept of dependency, of this dependency that we need to have on God. Now, I know for, for some of us, we're, you're like, I, I don't know. I'm not really know if I'm there yet to really comprehend or understand that. But listen, if you're at least willing to be open to understand that you need God, and the reason that we need God is one of the very fundamental things. In fact, I, I, we met with a couple, me and Amy did yesterday. We had lunch, and uh, they were telling us a little bit about their story. And one of the things that, uh, that I love that they said that I have to kind of like remind myself all the time about is that I don't have authority or power over anything. I don't have control over anything, right? We'd like to think we do, but guess what? When it comes down to it, we don't have control over anything. So guess what? That's where the dependency on God can come into play for us, and we really recognize that, God, I don't, I don't actually have control over anything, right? You, you'd like to think that you have control when you go to your car today and you put the key in the ignition for it to start up, but guess what? You don't have that control, you're trying to start something to relay signals for something else to happen, but guess what? You're not the one doing it, are you? I'm not the one doing it. I don't even understand how it works. I put a key in, and it just magically fires up. I, I, so, so, so just in that same instance, we need to realize that, guess what? We need to have that dependency on God. And, and um, I think one of the other things that happens is, is very many times, though, we want to transfer our dependency from God onto other things, and I, I'm 100% guilty of this in my own life, right? We transfer our dependency onto our stuff because we think that we can control our stuff, right? We, we, we think that, which is why when you go shopping, you want to buy the stuff that you want to buy because you can control it because you're going to bring it into your house and you're going to put it where you want. It's going to make you happy for a couple minutes until it doesn't because it's going to collect dust and you got to dust it. Who loves to dust? Anybody love to dust? If you do, come to my house because I hate dusting. In fact, we, I delegated out. I'm like, yeah, that, my children, that's your job. Like, go dust, okay? I don't, I don't like to do that. But he continues on here, right? So we, we understand we need to have that dependency on God. And he continues on here in verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And, and I know you probably are saying, this is weird. Why would you say blessed are those who mourn? How is that like a happy thing? Mourning's not a happy thing. But really what Jesus is trying to portray to the people that are around him right here is that guess what? He wants us to be emotionally connected, emotional connection will help lead us to happiness. And the reason we say blessed are those who mourn, because guess what? If you're mourning, you're connected to the fact that you've lost something, that something is missing, that there's something happening in your life. But so many times we don't experience mourning 
or we don't want to experience mourning because we don't want to be sad. We don't want to experience that feeling. So we suppress it and we push it down in there and we just say, okay, listen, you stay down in here and, and, and don't come out, okay, because I don't, I don't want to feel this way. I, I want to be happy. You know, we want to be happy and, 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 and you know, just kind of in that feeling and that emotional joy that we have. So we skip and we progress it. But guess what? When, when this happens, it ends up affecting our lives in other ways. It, it emotionally disconnects us from other people. It emotionally disconnects us. Guess what? You will not really be able to truly love if you want to take feelings, whether it's sadness or whatever. If you want to take those feelings and you just want to push them down in there, guess what? It is going to affect your ability to love other people. It's going to affect your ability to connect with other people when you want to suppress that stuff down and not allow it to come over. And listen, it, it's easy for us to have the, the fear, right? Because that's ultimately what happens, right? We experience sadness and mourning when we, when we go. We, we have to experience the fear of us not having control. There, that comes into play again. But we, we experience that fear of dying or, or the unknown. But guess what? When we allow those things to come into our lives and... and they end up ruling our life in, in unexpected ways. We end up spending time where we just waste time. We waste years and days and weeks and months of our life because we're afraid of death. We're afraid to live. We're afraid to avoid all the feelings and all the messiness that comes from life. So we, we don't really get into that. But he says, listen, no, you gotta, you got to be emotionally connected. Then he considers the next one here. Uh, this is one I know that everyone has put on your job applications, okay? And this is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I know all of you on your last job application, you put meekness as a quality, a strength, didn't you? I know you did, because meekness is one of those things for us that we often don't uh, don't really recognize. We, we, we think, you know, meekness is weakness, right? We think that if we're meek, we're weak. But the fact of the matter is, meekness is really just a proper estimation or, or, a, or a value of ourselves within the context of God's love. So we're basically just saying that, you know what, meekness is really us saying that I kind of have recognized where I am. I'm not the center of the universe, right? But at the same time, I'm not some far-off distant galaxy either. I recognize kind of who I am in God, and I realize that, guess what, that God has a part for me to play in his world. He has a place for me, and because of that, I can realize that I, I can do great things. He continues on in verse 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I know righteousness is not one of those words that we like to use very often, right? Righteousness is not one of those words that we like to say. But righteousness is basically, when we boil it down to its basic fundamental thing, it's really just doing the right thing. Because guess what? When we experience righteousness in our lives, you know what that means? That, ex that experience for us basically means we get to live with no guilt, Man, how good is it to live with no guilt? I don't know if you've ever experienced no guilt kind of living, but no guilt's living because it's freeing. You don't free you don't feel like you're carrying around a bunch of stuff. You don't feel like you got bags from years past of memories and experiences and all, all the guilt and shame and frustration. But guess what? It allows us to break free of that. The righteousness of God does that for us. Now, listen. Here's the thing, and this is a lot of people who struggle with this. We struggle with the fact that we had a past life, okay? So if you're a Christian, you had a past life, right? I had a past life. 
And here, when I come to Christ, when I come to God, guess what that means? It means I get a new life. I get a brand new life. The problem that we often have, though, is is we want to bring stuff from this past life. We want to drag that with us to our new life. But the one thing that I love about what God does when he comes into our lives, when he comes in and he breathes fresh life into us, when he says that, guess what? I give you the promise of forgiveness. I give you the promise of of everlasting life when it comes to forever, when it comes to eternity. He says, listen, leave that stuff in the past because guess what? You don't carry that anymore. You don't get to carry all that that past. Live in righteousness today. Live in the freedom that he has for you today because guess what? When you do, man, you're going to get a sense of joy, again, a sense of, of just freedom that you've probably never, ever had. And listen, I know for some people that's not a switch. I know you wish it was a switch, don't you? You wish you could just go walk to the wall and flip it like, oh, I don't feel any guilt or shame about yesterday. I don't feel any guilt or shame about all the things I've done in the past. We wish it was that way. And for some people it can be, but listen, if it doesn't happen for you that way, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. That just means it's okay. Allow God to work in your life and to work that process out as you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because guess what? We're going to find that we're going to get filled. The next thing he says here is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And mercy uh, is really tied to relational generosity. Okay, mercy is tied to relational generosity, right? If you want to know how, how do I have more mercy, answer this. Do you have relational generosity? In other words, when somebody does something against you, are you willing and able, are you able to have mercy show, and just let that go? One of the things I'll, I'll, I'll be a little real with you here this morning about, I don't have as much issue for me, showing forgiveness to people that have hurt me, okay, that's not something I struggle with because I'm just like, ah, okay, it is what it is. But now, one of the things I do struggle with is when you do something to somebody I care about. Because when you do something to somebody I care about, I can't control the way they feel, and I can't control what you've done, so I'm ready to fight, okay? <laughs> and maybe you experience that. Listen, and that's, that's okay. But listen, guess what? If we are going to have mercy, if we are going to be shown mercy, and let me tell you, I need mercy. I need it, all right? I need God to show me some mercy. And if we're going to do that, guess what? We have to be relationally generous to those people around us so that we can understand that, guess what? It's okay, it's okay. And again, listen, it, it switch thing applies here too. It might not be a switch. You might not just be able to say, okay, I'm good. It might take you a little bit of time. But listen, allow God to work through you because guess what? We got to remember that for every time we get upset about other people around us getting hurt and hurting the ones we love, guess what? You've done the same thing to other people. We've done that. I've done that. I've said stuff. I've done things, stupid, stupid things that you say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. That's but when we experience this, guess what? That, that we, experience, we experience mercy. He continues on here, and we're, we're not too far from the end of the blessed, right? The blessed here in verse 8 are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible or you have your YouVersion app out, I would love for you to take the opportunity to highlight this verse. Because this verse is huge. This verse is huge because here's what I need you to understand. This says, blessed are the pure in heart. Then there's that little comma. 
Because why? They will get to see God. That is huge. Because guess what? If you want to see what God is up to, you need to be able to see him. And guess what? We will not be able to see him unless we experience what it means to be pure of heart. Pure of heart, we get to see God. That is an amazing thing. Have you ever had a moment where something happened around you and you like have that like, how did I not see that? How did I not know that that could happen or that that was going to happen? Like, how did I not know that? Because guess what? Sometimes we can't see. We got, we got things in front of us. We don't see what's happening. And Jesus invites us to experience purity, you know, whether that's moral purity or ethical purity or physical purity. He, 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 purity, when it ultimately comes down, we find out that the purity leads to clarity. And I realize that, that purity is not one of those words, again, it's just like righteousness. It's one we don't like to use very much because it kind of can bring up a lot of past experience. It kind of build up some uh, conviction inside of us. But guess what? If we can never experience purity in our life, if we can never experience what that means, that we are going to struggle constantly to see what God is up to. Man, there's so many times in my life I could have seen what God was up to if I was a little bit more pure and a little bit more tuned in to what he was doing in my life and into the lives of people around me. In verse 9, he continues here. He says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. I don't know about you, but I really want to be called a child of God. So in order for us, this is basically saying in order for us to be called children of God, then guess what we need to do? We need to start acting like our father. Now, sometimes my children act like me, and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not such a good thing. Uh, I don't know if you have ever had that moment where you, your kids do something, you'd be like, man, that is just what I would do. It was horrible, but it was just what I would do, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, see, it's the, it's, the, it's the reverse side of that for God, right? It's the reverse side. It's God was wanting us to say that, you know, when we do something that he says, huh, that's exactly what I would have done in that situation. And guess what? When you experience those moments, he says that you are called the children of God and that we get to experience the peace and the understanding and the happiness of what that is. That doesn't mean that you get to be troublemakers uh, or, or a word I found when I was doing some research on this, rabble rousers. I'd also love for you to work rabble rouser into your weekly dialogue, okay? You got some good vocabulary words this week if all else fails. But we, listen, guess what? When you experience, when you, when, you, when you know those troublemakers, you probably have troublemakers in your life, right? The troublemakers are never the ones that experience peace, right? Because they always are stirring something up because what they're trying to do is they're trying to stir up this. They're stirring the pot so that everybody else can feel the same way they do, right? That's what's happening. They want to stir the pot so that you can feel the same way they do inside. And don't get sucked into those moments because it's so easy to. Because guess what? When you are a peacemaker, you look like the Father, and you get to be called a child of God. The last one here in verse 10, it says this. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you say, wait a second, hold the train, back it up. I'm pretty sure that the title of this, uh, this whole series that we're in is Happiness Is. And under what, uh, under what circumstances does persecution equal happiness? Right? They don't go together, you know. But listen, one of the things that I think we need to come to grips with 
is that, listen, the life that we live, no matter whether your life is 55 years, 65, 75, 105 years, it makes no difference. It makes no difference on the time span. But the life that you live right now, you're going to experience pain and suffering. That's just a fact of the matter. Listen, you can be called a child of God, and you're still going to experience pain and suffering. We can't take the pain and suffering out of it because it's part of the experience. But here's the question. The pain and suffering that you go through is going to lead you to one of two options. It's going to lead you to a life that God has called you to where you're still going to find happiness and joy. You're still going to find contentment. Or it's going to lead you to the pain and suffering where you're still going to keep trying and searching and trying to do whatever it is to fill the void and the gap in your life. Those are basically your two options through the pain and suffering. Do I do it God's way? Do I try to experience it that way? Or do I do it the other way and I, I just try to fill it with whatever in the world I want to fill it with? Those are our options. And, and so, listen, Jesus says, listen, you might, you're going to get persecuted because of righteousness. That's okay because guess what? Because even when you get persecuted for righteousness, something amazing happens. You get to inherit the house. You get to, listen, that's the, whole busted, that's the whole best part about being called a child of God is guess what? When you get to be called a child of God, you get the inheritance. You get to, and guess what? The best part of it is there is no inheritance tax, folks. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff, okay? It's just you get to inherit what dad has. Dad has the absolute best for you, and when you can grasp hold of the fact that he says that he loves you so much, so passionately much, then guess what? You get to experience what it is to have his inheritance. I love that. I love the fact that we get to have the inheritance that God has laid out, and we all get to get it and have it when we experience the peace, the love, and the joy, you know? So what do, we, what do we say here about, like, the kind of the overall result of the Beatitudes, right, of, of this blessed, blessedness that we, we're talking about today? Really, I think the takeaway we, we, we experience is that this, is that really we understand that happiness, happiness is an outcome. It's a result. It's an ultimate goal, not always the immediate thing. It's not, it's one of those ones where it's, we often want it to be the immediate. We want to get our card punched and be happy and joy. But listen, it can be a process. And, and, and just because it's a process that might take a little bit of time doesn't mean that it is in no way worth doing. The ultimate question I think today we have to ask, that you have to ask, right, is that the life that you live when you wake up and you get dressed and you go to work and you do your thing if you're like me, if you have to wake up three times in the middle of the night to let the puppy out and go, to, go back to bed and try to figure out how to live your life, right? Through everything, that, through everything that you have to experience in your life is what will you sow and reap towards? What will you sow and reap towards? Because, again, listen, you're, you're going to have heartache and trouble and all that stuff is going to happen in life, Right? There's no magic eraser to make that all go away and come out squeaky clean. You're going to have the trouble. But what are you going to sow and reap towards? Are you going to do it towards happiness and contentment? Or the unhappiness factor where you're just going to try to fill your life in with anything that kind of feels like it fits for the time? Whatever it is. Whatever it is that you just want to plug into it. But I want to commit to doing the right thing. I, I want to commit to, to experiencing what it is to have meekness to what it is to have mercy for other people that harm me, but those that go beyond that to harm the ones I love. I, I want to experience what it's like to have the peace 
And, and above all, I mean, I want to see God. I want to see what God's up to, what he's doing. Jesus it says this in Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words, these words of mine, and he puts them into practice, not just listens, but actually does, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Maybe you've heard this story before, and Jesus tells this parable, and he has these two people that go out, and they build this house, and one builds on a rock, and the other one, he says in verse 26 there, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you say, okay, you know, rock, sand, all right. But here's what we need to understand. If you've ever built a house, now, I, I realize uh, Barrica Homes has kind of made this feel a little bit different, right? Where you, you had no house and all of a sudden you magically have a house, right? But if you've ever built a house, you recognize that it's a process, isn't it? Like it's a process. Like you don't just magically show up one day and the entire house is ready to move in. You know, it takes time. You put the foundation in and then after that we put floor joists in and then after that we start putting the walls up. Then after we get the walls up, we get the roof on, and we start putting it together and wrapping it in plywood. We get the whole process done. That takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to get to that place. Jesus says, listen, these two people, the the wise man and the foolish man, it both took them time to build this house. This was a lifetime thing. This happened for over time. But guess what happens? When the storms come and the trouble happens, because it's going to happen. Guess what? What happens to the guys with the, that had a good foundation versus the one built on the sand? He gets to stand. He gets to stay and say, you know what? We made it. He looks at, he looks at his wife and says, we made it, baby. We got it. We're, we're good. The other guy's sitting over there with his house in a heap, and he's wondering where his kids are. He's trying to figure out how to put the pieces of his life back together after everything has fell apart. And he says, oh, my God, what do we do? What do we do? Well, guess what? He took a lifetime of building stuff and putting stuff together only to find out that he didn't start on the, on the right foundation to begin with. Makes no difference. Today, I, I want to invite you would, you, would you stand with me? We're going to do something uh, a little different. If you're kind of normal, we're, we're going to actually receive communion today. And as we receive communion, at the front here, in front of both aisles, we have uh, the uh, communion wafers and the juice. And, and I just want to encourage you, I thought communion fits so well with this message, just for the fact that Jesus literally gave his life so that we could come and have the relationship with God the Father. That's literally why he came, so we could experience that. And, and Jesus has already laid it out here in the Beatitudes of of what we should be doing, what our lives should be looking like in order to experience that. And so why not take this time for us to come to the Lord's table today to celebrate and have a wonderful time together. But before we do this, one of the things I just, I have to say is I kind of have to give this kind of like this warning label to this experience and to say, listen, we, would, we want to experience communion with us, but in order for that to happen, we want to make sure that we are all on the same page. We want to make sure that we are all taking the moment where we say, God, I'm, I'm right with you, that I actually am a son or a daughter of God. 
And so today, I just want to let you know if maybe you've never taken the opportunity to pray that prayer. Maybe you've never actually asked God or prayed to Jesus and said, Lord, I need you to be in my life. I, I, I've, I've done all that stuff in the past. I've done all those bad things. I want to start over again. Well, I want to let you know that that is the only reason, not the only reason, but that is the main reason I got out of bed this morning. Because I knew it was going to lead to this moment. And I knew that there might be people here that are struggling in your walk with God. That you, you've you kind of been on the fence a little bit. And you've kind of gone back and forth. And you, you've gone and you said, I, I don't really know if I want to live that way or if I want to do my own thing. I hope you understand today that guess what? God says that he wants us to be happy. He wants you to be happy. But so much more than happiness is he wants you to have an inheritance. He wants you to experience what it is when this part of life is done with what comes next. So I want to ask, would you just, would you bow your head with me? And I just want to pray. Listen, if there is anyone here that wants to take this time and just kind of, maybe you're committing to God for the very first time. Or maybe you say, I've kind of done it, but I've messed up. And, you know, I just feel like I just want to pray again, ask God to forgive me. Listen, that's okay, because guess what? He shows us mercy, amen? He shows us mercy. So if that's you today, I just want to ask, if you would slip your hand up, we just want to pray with you today. We just want to take this time to say, you know what? We're standing together as people who mess up. That's right. It's okay, because guess what? I've been there. I've done it. That's right. We just want to, I just want to ask, and you don't have to re- necessarily repeat these exact words, but, but I just want to ask if you would, would you pray, these, pray this prayer? Just say, Lord, I pray that you forgive me. Lord, forgive me of my past. And Father, I pray that you help give me new life, that I could experience life with you and that I could experience what it is to have that happiness and that joy that contentment Father Lord right now I pray for everyone that is in this place today Father God that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our heart Father God Lord sometimes we experience conviction because you're speaking to us because you want to call things out in our lives and Father God we, we, we turn this time over to you And Lord, we pray right now that as we come and we get ready to celebrate with communion, Father God, that you bless this time, Father. And we're so thankful for the word, for your word, for your teaching today. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's how this is going to work. It's going to be, again, a little bit different here in the new building. But basically what's going to happen is we have the two aisles right here in the center. And you have ushers that are going to start from the back. If you're on the sides, you're going to come right out the center and swing around. If you're in the center, the ushers are going to help direct you so that you're going to alternate so that we're not crowding one side or crowding the other side. Okay? But we ask that you, when you come up, that you come up, that you walk around the outside back and then back to your seats again. And we thank you so much. Ushers, go ahead. You can dismiss.
One of the things that I love when you read the New Testament and when you take the opportunity to understand the teachings and the story of Jesus and when you kind of break down to the groups of people that he carried with him, you know, from the, you know, from the 12 apostles to the disciples to the crowd, when you really kind of break that down, one of the things that I love about that is that I love the fact that all of his teaching, like he's constantly coming back to the 12 and constantly like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's like this. And then they kind of live life. And then Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. No, it's, it's not like this. It's like this. And he, he, he constantly is teaching them. He's constantly going through. He's constantly trying to show them for them to understand who he is and what he's there for. And the reason I love that is because there's so many times when you're probably like me, sometimes I don't feel like I get it. I don't feel like I get to, I live that perfect life, you know. I don't get to be on the top of uh, Greatest Christian Pastors magazine, all right. I don't have that kind of life, right. But one of the things that I love is that when he sat down at that table with his disciples, towards the end of his life, Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. The disciples are still relatively clueless. They don't understand. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to get ready to experience what something different you're going to experience what it's like to live without me but don't worry because something else is going to happen i'm going to i'm going to bless it when i when i ascend and guess what's going to happen when i come back you're going to get the holy spirit he's going to live with you and walk with you he's going to encourage and guide you he's going to be there with you every single step of the way and i i love how he wrapped all that up and he and he sat at that table and and he basically, he had a piece of bread. It's just simple, wasn't fancy, ordinary. It was an ordinary dinner to everybody else. But to Jesus, it was something special. It was something extraordinary. And he says, listen, I need you to understand that, that, that this bread, that this, this represents something different. This represents my body. And he says that, guess what? My body is going to be broken for you. And I'm sure that at the time, his disciples were looking around, and they were puzzled. They were confused. They had no idea what, was, what he was really talking about. And he says, but listen, I need you to understand this, that I'm going to be broken for you. And today, listen, I'm not saying that you maybe have your whole life put together, right? Because there, no, there is no such thing. You can try to stop for that. But if one thing that we can come around today to recognize is that, guess what? His body was broken for us. His body was broken for you. His body was broken for me. He did it for me, specifically. I hope you can make it personal today and realize that, guess what? He did that for you. And today we just say, Father, we just thank you so much for this piece of bread, Father God. Lord, we know that this is just ordinary bread, Father God. But Lord, we, we just take this time to give you thanks and praise, Father God, for the fact that, that this represents your body that you lived for each and every one of us and you taught on the side of that mountain that day and you wanted to experience, you wanted us to experience a full life in you. Lord, we thank you, Father God, for the example that you've given, Lord. 
We give you the praise and the honor and the glory today. In Jesus' name. And you can receive. Then he had this cup. It's probably bigger of a cup than this cup. But he had this cup. And he wanted them to recognize. Because see, what, what they knew... They knew about the temple and the sacrifices, and they knew that, guess what? They had been doing this for generations and generations, that they were supposed to come and that they were going to have to sacrifice because they sinned, because they messed up, they made a mistake. But Jesus looks at his disciples and says, guess what? I'm, I'm doing something brand new here. You don't have to live that life anymore because, guess what? You're going to have this cup. And it's representing my blood. It's representing the fact that I'm coming for the forgiveness of sin. This cup represents the exact thing that imagines us and enables us to be able to have the inheritance of God. That's how powerful this cup is. I know it looks like it's just a little, little plastic cup, but guess what? This cup is the representation of what gave you your inheritance. That's pretty powerful. So today we say, Father God, Lord, we are so thankful for the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. For the fact that this cup represents, Father God, the blood sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. For as being your only son, the only son of God that would come and live and die. So that all of my mistakes, all of my, all my sin, all my errors, Father God, could be washed away and could be made right by him. Father, today we just thank you. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing this song with us as we get ready to close?